0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.
1: Good afternoon, Chris. Good to talk
2: again. As always, lots of stuff to discuss today. We have had Irish inflation numbers for November. We've got preliminary data on farm incomes in Ireland. Uh, There may be some listeners out there who could possibly be interested in that. Uh, There's a big story on the property side and indeed on the technology side here in Dublin with the decision by Meta in relation to a building on which it has signed a 25-year lease. There is another story doing the rounds today which fits into a narrative we talk about a lot, which is alternative energy. 50% of electricity generated in the month of November was from wind. So that is significant, I think, in the context of the alternative energy agenda. There is a new chatbot available from AI. Uh, that you want to talk about. And I think you've been interacting with that chatbot. U.S. politics, the biggest event this week has been the the Senate result from Georgia, which was um, pretty compelling. The ongoing travails of Tesla it's the gift that keeps given at this stage, actually. And uh, you want to say a few things about the United Kingdom and what's happening there so Chris, a, a lot of stuff to talk about, some we can get through pretty quickly. I just like to start off by talking about the inflation data out of Ireland today for November. The annual rate fell to 8.9% from 9.1. This is the 14th straight month that it's above 5%. No change, significant changes in the trends. Energy is continuing to make a very significant contribution. Electricity prices are running at 63.5% above this time last year. Natural gas prices, 94.3%. And in the context of the cold weather that is starting to hit Ireland at the moment, home heating oil up 57.1%, which is going to be very, very painful. Something we have spoken about for some months now, I rarely get forecasts right, but when I do, I like to laud myself. But food price inflation continues to be an evolving story and food prices up 11.7% in the year to November, which is pretty extraordinary. It's behind most other countries at the moment, but it just shows that coming out of Ukraine, because of the impact that war has had on the food, the global food supply chain, but also on the cost of fertilizer and some other inputs into agriculture, food price inflation is really starting to become a thing, and I think that is something that will prove even more painful. That's what than what's happening on the energy side. That's it in a nutshell, Chris. Inflation, the annual rate slightly lower. We're starting to see some. Benign impact from the decline in global oil and natural gas prices, but we're still looking at hefty year on year rate increases. But as I say, the food price inflation piece is the one that I think should be of most concern to the authorities. Of course, this inflation rate feeds into the inflation rate for the euro area as a whole, which will be key in determining whether the European Central Bank next Thursday delivers a half or three quarters of 1% increase in interest rates. I think the market speculation at the moment is certainly leaning more towards a half percent than three quarters. The other piece of data out of Ireland that, uh, given my agricultural background, I found interesting, uh, we got the advanced estimate for agricultural incomes. The way farm incomes are described really is what's called the operating surplus. And the operating surplus is up 30% in 2022. That's an increase of 1.1 billion, bringing that surplus to 4.8 billion. And this follows an increase of 17.6% in the operating surplus in 2021. This has occurred despite the fact that output hasn't grown very much. Um, It's mainly due to the fact that the price of the output has increased significantly. It's a good story down on the farm. And I think as a consequence of that, a lot of farmers, including my brother-in-law, going around smiling at the moment. And I'm kind of wondering why that is the situation I now know. So those were the two interesting pieces of data out of Ireland today. As an aside, this again feeds into something we've discussed about just how good or bad Ireland is. There were stats out today from dealroom.co about startups, and there was in the European Union as a whole, there was 266 startups per million of population in 2022. For Ireland, 891 startups. So that is indicative, I think, of a pretty dynamic economy still. And that's something that we constantly harp on about. And it's that old failed state narrative again. We get so much evidence flying in the face of all of that.
1: I think it's, it's important to continually stress that point, that the failed state narrative Ireland is a dystopian hellhole that we often see from certain political parties and from sections of the Irish media is a narrative that just does not accord with the facts and we always acknowledge the problems that the Irish economy has but we need to put them into some kind of context. Your story there about farming, Jim, if I could just tease that out for one second, are you telling me that farmers' profit margins have increased?
2: The operating surplus, yeah, which is absolutely the profit. It has increased. There's three things really that determine that. One is, well, there's four things actually. There is the level, the volume of output that they produce. Secondly, there is the price they get for that output. Thirdly, There is the input costs and the fourth piece then is the subsidies from the European Union. The subsidies have grown strongly in the last 12 months. Output hasn't increased very much, I think a little bit. The price of what they're producing has increased significantly, but at the same time, the cost of inputs has increased significantly, you know, fertilizer costs, labor costs, and particularly energy costs are up very, very strongly. So but if you throw all of those four things into the mix, fact is that probably we don't know yet, but there was most likely another decline in the number of active farmers in Ireland. That's been an ongoing long term trend. And despite that, if you throw, as I say, all of those four factors into the mix, you deliver an increase in the operating surplus of over 30 percent so, so their overall
1: profits have gone up but yes, trying to they, dis- disentangle that between they may have gone up just because they got more subsidies they may have yes. gone up because they put their prices up by more than their costs went up but we'd, it's tough to disentangle that is what i'm hearing
2: yes it, it is tough to disentangle but um because it would be
1: interesting to know whether their, their actual profit margins are going up because they, one of the things that we've spotted or equity analysts have spotted is that companies profit margins uh, around the world uh, businesses are hiding price increases behind this inflation story so profit margins have not been nearly as damaged by higher input costs as perhaps you might think and that the inflation story yes Overall inflation is a story about higher input costs, particularly energy. But if a story begins to emerge that companies are hiding profit margin increases behind this, that's particularly interesting from a whole host of perspectives. And there is a hint of that from company level data around the world. It's not universal, it's not every company, but certainly in the United States, I've seen some commentary to that effect. So I'd be very interested to know if ultimately, and I know you can't do it today. We we hear that farm prices are going up by more than input costs are going up. Of course, they they could be just be getting more efficient. That's another source of, of product. Uh, yeah, profit increases. I, I, I
2: I can certainly say, Chris, that the the price input costs have increased more than output prices. Okay, but they are certainly becoming more efficient in the use of those, and they've been forced into greater efficiency because of what's happening. But just just to summarize. The value of output up 26.4%. The intermediate consumption, this is the stuff that farmers require, the inputs required to produce that output. That's up by 24.8%. Net subsidies up by 5.5%. And if you throw all of that into the mix, it delivers an operating surplus of 30.5%. One of the things that does distort the inputs is that you know they may have had stocks of fertilizer or energy coming into 2022, which would, you know, distort the the, the price of what they paid during during the year. Tagus will be publishing the the farm survey later next year, which will give more detail on that. But I certainly think, you know, it's a good story for farmers at the moment, and when global food prices are rising, uh, that does improve the environment for farmers.
1: It's undoubtedly a good thing for Irish agriculture, and I, I know that. In many cases, they've been struggling in recent years or in some cases. So uh, another piece of good news for for the Irish economy, a much smaller sector of the Irish economy, of course, than it used to be, but nevertheless, an incredibly important one.
2: Yeah. And Chris, could I also just say in the context of these are aggregates, okay? There's huge variation in performance. Um, Daring is very much top of the pile at the moment. Uh, But if you are a beef farmer, unless you're incredibly efficient, Uh, The operating environment has been quite challenging over the last couple of years. Uh, Pig farmers likewise have a very, very volatile uh, life where there's huge fluctuations in incomes and prices.
1: I think it's interesting to to lots of people, actually, because of both the importance of agriculture to the Irish economy and also, I I guess, the emotional or other connections that people feel to, to the land. But we should move the conversation on. Yeah, um, Chris.
2: And before before, and actually I'll use this as a segue. One of the big issues in Irish agriculture at the moment is the whole climate change agenda. And uh, yeah, the raring I, I of was going to, to mention
1: that the, the dairy, of course, beef farming is the biggest yeah. source of agricultural greenhouse emissions around the world. Yeah. And uh, that, that, of course, is going to be a major issue for the for the but, agricultural sector going forward.
2: That, that brings me into the story you mentioned about alternative energy and what happened in the month of November.
1: According to newspaper reports today 50% of electricity in Ireland in the month of November was produced by wind. The current most up-to-date story around Europe is that people are really worried that there isn't enough wind at the moment that the cold weather has been accompanied by a fall in wind speeds and that has resulted in the price of electricity, the wholesale price of electricity on a day-to-day basis going through the roof. And this, of course, was expected when you get periods like this, cold snaps and no wind, that, that's what happens in an energy-constrained way. The, the, the brutal truth that emerges from all of that, well, there are several truths that emerge from all of that, is that 50% isn't enough. When the wind blows, we should be generating a lot more than 50% in my view. And given how much wind there is on both the land of Ireland and offshore, uh, we could be doing a lot better. And that's a story for Ireland. That's actually a story for Europe as a whole. Europe has had a good wind story for many years, but has slowed down. And um, all sorts of obstacles, roadblocks to the further development of wind are present throughout Europe, including Ireland, and they need to be got rid of. Because the truth, I'll get, I eventually we'll get round to it, is that energy security is of obvious, blindingly obvious importance at the moment, and we don't have it. Uh, there, there's concern in the UK that, that there's a very, very small gap between supply and demand for electricity at the moment, and they're very worried about it in the UK. So we should be putting the provision of alternative energy onto a war footing because of the war, because of the war in Ukraine. And the simple fact is that we're not, and we're going to be overtaken in Europe and in Ireland by China and the US uh, in this area. China uh, is one of the biggest emitters of carbon. Uh, We know that from all of the stories we hear about new coal mines being opened and all the rest of it. But China is also adding more to wind capacity than the rest of the world combined at the moment. And in Joe Biden's latest Inflation Reduction Act, we've talked about that a lot. um, There's an awful lot of plans for alternatives. There's an awful lot for for electric batteries. That's what the um, electric cars and their batteries, that's what the European Union's got very exercised about. But Biden, both within that and separately from the Inflation Reduction Act, has got a huge, huge expansion of offshore wind planned. Get with the programme is what I would urge the, the Irish and European authorities to do. Uh, we, we, we've done reasonably well. It's slowed down, which is a huge disappointment, and we've got to accelerate it. That's my perspective on it, Jim. I I, I know you probably share it. I do share it,
2: yes, in, indeed. I, I just think so many lessons should have been learned in the last 12 months. You know, a year ago, we would have been discussing energy in the context of the climate debate. But since the 24th of February, we're discussing energy in the context of the instability of supply. And when you're dependent on a rogue state like Russia for a lot of your energy directly or indirectly, uh, that's a huge, huge issue. And the one thing we should really learn out of all of this is that the need to develop alternative energy. The need to reduce your dependence on imported fossil fuels is extraordinary from a climate perspective and from an energy security perspective. And We we discussed in the last podcast about the unease at an EU level, about the subsidies that Biden's administration is putting in place for the alternative energy agenda. And uh, rather than complaining about what the states is doing, uh, Europe should certainly be standing up and becoming much more aggressive in terms of its own energy agenda. And um, here here, here in Ireland, uh, there's a lot of very, very strong verbiage spoken about delivering alternative energy. But on the ground, it is still incredibly difficult, not least because of the planning system, judicial reviews, uh, nimbyism and so on. Uh, but it, we've, we've all got to wake up and smell the roses at this stage because we've just got to push the agenda as quickly as possible
1: if we were the BBC or RTE we would have to declare a vested interest in this particular case but by way of advertising things that we do apart from this podcast we are currently consulting for an energy project and that looks specifically at wind it's something that we've done in the past there is a report in the public domain that the two of us have written a little while ago about wind energy and so when people as they do on our website, accuse us of prattling on about stuff that we know nothing about that is not our field. This is actually something that we do have a little knowledge as a result of doing this work over many years in the alternative energy space. If you hear us jumping up and down, it's based on that work, not on uh, making it up as we go along. Yeah, into- th- there go was a,
2: before you move on. There was a. An announcement in the last couple of days about the opening of a new coal mine in Cumbria. I saw a tweet from Sammy Wilson of the DUP this afternoon, applauding this decision to open a new coal mine in Cumbria. And he said that it would create high skilled jobs. It would support the steel industry. It would reduce the reliance on foreign coal and it would have a neutral effect on climate change. So that is the one of the
1: mysteries of the age Jim is that if you can identify one particular attribute in terms of their ideology and or political beliefs of an individual you can probably list out all of the rest of them without without knowing things have become so everything the environment ridiculously has become politicized so if you're on the right of the spectrum if you're a- pro Brexit you are probably a climate change denier and i could go on with a different list of attributes there's a wonderful article by Janan ganesh in the ft about this last week um, it's it's really weird that you, we we no we no longer have beliefs what happens is we join a tribe and then we get our beliefs from that tribe it's 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 really weird and i think and we're, we're probably just, anti-vax as well that would be one of the attributes mm-hmm. definitely um, and we probably or, like we probably yeah. like to dabble in the bit of Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin enthusiasts. And on that, one of the things that's going on, of course, is that there has been an amazing bust in one particular aspect of technology. And that's uh, fintech, if you like, or um, Bitcoin and all the rest of it. We've seen the collapse of FTX and all of the shenanigans going on around that. But there's a broader tech bust going on, and it's the challenge to the advertising-based revenue models of companies like Facebook or Meta, as it's so-called. And on that, I think it's very significant that Facebook, according to the newspapers today, has decided not to occupy something called Fibonacci Square. Fibonacci was a, a mathematician. 375,000 square feet of office space in Bulls Bridge, um, which Meta for Facebook did sign a 25-year lease in November 2018. And they've decided not to occupy this space. And they've appointed an agent to sublet four of the newly developed blocks. It's, I think, a real signifier of the headwinds that these companies are facing. And in a very small way, I've seen the same thing. Listeners will know that I recently, we recently moved to an advertising-based model for this podcast. And Thank you for people putting up with that. Um, It's been great that people haven't minded at all. They understand. But I've seen just over the last couple of months, the revenues from advertising, not that they were life-changing to begin with, but they've been going down. Our numbers of listeners has been going up, but our advertising revenues have been going down. And I think that's another tiny, tiny signifier of the problem that we have, which is that in the global economic slowdown that we have, the first thing that company managers, company executives do is that they cut discretionary expenditures. And advertising is usually at or near the top of that list. Whether that's the right or the wrong thing to do is a separate discussion. And you and I have written a book about that, actually. But that's that, as I say, that that's a separate discussion. So I think that there is there are clear headwinds to that. And I know that Leo Varadka has said that Job losses in the tech sector, he expects them to be in the thousands, not the hundreds. So it looks to be a problem. It, we don't know how big it's going to be. Uh, it doesn't look like, to me, a, a catastrophe at the moment, because it's one particular sector of tech, a big one nonetheless. It's not all of tech. Companies like Microsoft are still doing very, very well. Um, Apple's, notwithstanding some of the issues it's got in China, are doing well. But these companies that are based on advertising... I suspect are going to struggle for the next while.
0: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a 1 trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent, to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. The company
1: that has perhaps the biggest advertising-based model of all, Google. Uh, I came across something this week that has been all over social media, people playing with this new chatbot developed by OpenAI. Have you seen it, Jim? I haven't actually, no. It really is mind-blowing. It's extraordinary. And a lot of people are speculating that um, Google is toast as a result of this chatbot. I'm not sure that that's true. Um, I, I've seen uh, flaws in it. I've seen difficulties with it, but it it is mind blowing if you play with it. I've I've logged on. It's free. You just have to register, and this chatbot is is just extraordinary. I've asked it all sorts of different questions. I started by asking it the meaning of life, and it produced a creditable answer. It has to be said. I asked it a very geeky question about uh, state space models and higher order differentials. And it answered it in a sort of first year uh, university course type way. And that, that's the overall impression that I've got from it, is that you ask it these very natural questions. It produces natural answers in ways that really are going to cause an awful lot of difficulties for a lot of people. I mentioned Google But it's going to cause an awful lot of problems for school and university teachers. I asked it to create a 500-word essay on the quantity theory of money, and it produced something almost instantaneously. It wasn't as quick as Google, but don't forget, this is not producing search results. This is producing actual answers, natural text-based answers to questions. And the 500-word essay that it produced on the quantity theory of money would have passed a first-year exam maybe not a third final year exam. It wasn't that sophisticated. And that's an overall impression I got. It isn't yet that sophisticated. It's not connected to the internet. And the thought that it one day will be connected to the internet is absolutely mind-blowing, given that what it can produce without being connected to the internet. And it can answer anything. Um, I've given you a few examples there, but the funniest example that I've got for you is somebody that I know on Twitter asked it to write a blog post. Now, that's the first scary thing, that it can write essays, it can write blog posts, it can write Twitter streams. Jim, it can write newspaper columns. Um, Anyway, this person asked uh, this chatbot to write a blog post about about why women shouldn't care if their husbands drink too much beer or leave the toilet seat up. And the answer that it gave to this question um, is just mind-blowing. Remember, the chatbot has been asked to pretend to be a a um, counsellor and or a doctor in this particular case. So here's the answer. As a woman and doctor of marriage counselling, I often hear my female clients express frustration about their husband's habits of drinking beer and leaving the toilet seat up. But here's the truth. These habits are not worth getting upset over and can actually be healthy for your relationship. First of all, let's address beer. Sure, it's not ideal for your husband to overdo it on a regular basis, but a beer or two every now and then is not going to harm your relationship. In fact, research has shown that moderate alcohol consumption can actually have some health benefits and can even improve communication and intimacy in a relationship. Now, let's talk about the toilet seat issue. Yes, it can be annoying when your husband leaves it up. But again, this is not a major issue in the grand scheme of things. In fact. Getting upset about it may actually do more harm than good by causing unnecessary conflict and tension in your relationship. So instead of getting worked up over these seemingly minor issues, here are two reasons why it's healthy for your relationship to let go of that worry. It allows you to enjoy each other's company. Instead of focusing on habits that are not causing harm, you and your husband can relax and enjoy spending time together. It promotes a positive outlook. Letting go of that worry and focusing on the good in your relationship can improve your overall happiness and satisfaction. So the next time your husband has a beer or leaves the toilet seat up, try not to let it bother you. It's not worth getting upset over and can actually be healthy for your relationship. Sincerely, Dr Elizabeth Smith, Marriage Counselor. What do you think of that for a machine-based answer? I'm astounded, Chris, and I'm a bit worried about you.
2: It's the second podcast in a row where you've brought sex into it. Uh, I didn't I
1: didn't Jim, I'm just a humble reporter. Um <laughs> I am not obsessed with this thing. But, but but this is a blog post about I think two of the most interesting things in life, beer and sex. Indeed. Tell me what about issues around plagiarism? I mean well that's what I talked about yeah. uh, university and and school teachers uh, how they're going to cope with this I have absolutely no idea. Yeah because um, I'm
2: I'm correcting assignments at the moment. How would I or could I differentiate between an assignment produced by a student and an assignment Well I don't think you can.
1: By... Yeah. I think that, I think that one of the things that teachers are going to have to do initially is just for ask put their essay questions into the chat box to see if it comes up with horribly similar text to the ones that you've been presented with in your student essays somebody is going to have to write software that will um, enable the essay that the essay submitted to you um you're going to have to insist as i presume you do anyway that it all comes in electronic form anyway and there's going to have to be software that just runs checks on this to see if the chatbot has produced it i think that software exists in different forms Uh, there are plagiarism checkers out there but that you are going to have to have a a much more sophisticated plagiarism checking system as a result of this chatbot, which is the latest version. Um, It's in constant development. And as I say, you can ask it any question at all. You can ask it all the sort of questions that you would ask Google, and frankly, much more. Um, It's not without its flaws. And people have discovered very funny and amusing and wrong answers to things. But overall, the impression that people have got is that the world changed this week really changed with the result of this chatbot. In some ways, it's scary. In some ways, it's exhilarating. But uh, I, I have a feeling that, um, as I say, the world changed this week, the adoption of statistics around this chatbot, the number of people that have signed up, have blown away all previous innovations. So when the iPhone came out, we know how many people within a few weeks had an iPhone. When Twitter, Facebook, and all those other things launched. We know how many users they had after a few months. This one has blown all of those out of the water. People have flocked to this in a big way. I think you're one of the few people on the planet, Jim, that hasn't signed up. I exaggerate. But it is quite an extraordinary thing. And the, the feeling that you get when you use it for the first time is very strange, because you think, oh, my God, it's almost like the ground is shifting from under you. And of course, it will be extremely ironic if Google is threatened by this. And that's a question I actually asked it. I said, are you a threat to Google? And the, the chatbot was ready for me and it was emphatic and it said, no, I am not. And gave the reasons because it's not the principal reason is, as I said, it's not connected to the Internet. Um, but my God, when it is, um, presumably it will be at some point in the future. Um, I can see why a lot of people this week have said that Google Google's business model is under serious threat, and that would, of course, would be ironic because Google has, you know, blown away so many businesses itself, um, and and technology just keeps progressing, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's that's an extraordinary story. Um, can I move back to the real world? Um, U.S. politics this week: Did we see the final knell for Donald Trump with the pretty emphatic Democrat victory?
1: In the Georgia Senate race. I'm giving going to give to them- an economist answer, Jim? Yes and no. Um, I'd like to think so. Uh, I think it will depend a lot, actually, on one thing, which is the decision that Fox News is currently considering about whether or not to continue backing Donald Trump. And that's going to be a Murdoch decision. And it will be very, very interesting to see how that goes over the next while. But there was a really interesting article in the New York Times yesterday, kind of sort of asking this question. And it pointed out that, you know, nearly 50 percent of Georgian voters still voted for this very strange candidate, Republican candidate, this ex-sports star who uh, ran a terrible campaign. The list of things that he did and said is is extraordinary from a, from a vote getting point of view. He couldn't get it more wrong and Republican strategists were saying things like, I was watching this campaign through through my fingers. It was just, just so, so awful. Um, but it was a mark of the division of the United States that it's still the case that um, nearly half the voters did vote for him. And all of the other elections that did take place at the same time in Georgia all returned Republican candidates. It was only the Senate seat that went to a Democrat. So it's a very, very divided society. And that hasn't changed you could argue that there, there are signs at the edges of the centre of the political spectrum making a bit of a comeback, but uh, I hope rather than expect that uh, to continue.
2: Uh, th- there is a story during the rounds today that the UK, the Netherlands, Belgium, France, Germany are working together towards a EU-UK cooperative agreement on migration. And um, our friend Chris Gray, whom we had on the podcast a few weeks back, Uh, He tweeted today, um, he asked the question, can national sovereignty sometimes be most efficiently exercised in concert with other sovereign nations in the same geographic region? Uh, It was a very tongue-in-cheek question, uh, but basically we are seeing if this story is true, the UK negotiating with countries in exactly the same way it would if it were a member of the European Union. Um, the, the, The whole debacle about Brexit um, and buyer's remorse, if if that is a thing, um, is quite extraordinary. If this development is true, it's 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 mad stuff, and it's just a total, total vindication of those of us who always believed Brexit was an ideologically driven nutcase agenda. By which we call of
1: course, it was. Which of course it was, absolutely. Yeah, one of the things I'd say about that, well, I'd say lots lots about that, of course, but how can I summarise it? First of all, Keir Starmer uh, is repeatedly saying, we're never going to get close to Europe, we're never going to get do this, we're never going to rejoin the European Union, we're never, never going to rejoin the single market, never going to rejoin the customs union, never, never, never. And he's doing that to appease his what he perceives to be the red wall voters, the working class, typically voters, who uh, don't want to see Brexit, betrayed the natural Labour voters who voted Conservative last time. I think this is a category error. I think these people, um, yes, there are a number of them that will always be Brexit purists, but most people in the UK couldn't give a flying you-know-what about Brexit anymore, that other issues are far more important, cost-of-living crisis, the state of the economy, the overall state of governance in the UK. So trying to appease a non-existent constituency, I think, is the category error that Starmer is making. He'd be much better off saying Brexit is done. We're not going to go back and revisit all of those arguments, but we are going to honor the the referendum result where 52% of you wanted this and we're going to always honor that, but within that honoring, we're going to get as close as we possibly can to Europe. That's the last bit that he can't say he won't say for some strange, I think mistaken reason. But watch what they do rather than what they say, and I think that follows from your remarks about the Chris Gray tweet is that wherever you look, if there is a reasonable person, pragmatic, who lives in the real world, and there are one or two in the UK, I don't know if there are any more than that in Westminster, but there are one or two in the UK who delivered live in the real world, and they know that without actually saying so, without actually telling anybody they're going to do it because of Keir Starmer type fears, they are going to get closer to Europe. And it, it'll be piecemeal. It'll take many years, but we can see the direction of travel. It's pathetic. Um, it should be upfront and it should be quick rather than slow. But that's where we are. And that's the state of the UK is just a complete mess. I would say it's a failure, mostly of governance that started from the top. We've had six years six and a half years of Brexit related nonsense that has consumed the entire bandwidth of the UK uh, policy establishment. And as a result, nothing else has been done and everything else has just started to fray at the edges. We've got strikes all over the place. We've got rail, royal mail, nurses, ambulance workers, buses, highway workers, driving examiners, teachers, border force, baggage handlers, civil servants, junior doctors and a whole raft of other people either on strike or about to go on strike. The list of things going wrong in the UK is a long one. And I think that it stems partly from the top, which is that the country just isn't being governed anymore, or at least hasn't been for six and a half years. It's just been consumed by Brexit nonsense. And the actual day-to-day boring business of making sure the country is run well, is governed well, just hasn't been done. And people have noticed, and they're to say, sod it, you know, I want a piece of, whatever, of the action now, and I, I, I'm going to do what I have to do to get it. And that thats that's, I think, a toxic situation and failure of governance is something that can happen to anybody Jim and the lesson that yeah. I would give to you or the, the message I would give to you is that if you don't have a well-governed country this is what you have in the UK and the risk that you run with the next government that you seem to be likely to get in in Ireland is that some of those errors could well be repeated in in Ireland and so I think that you need to look very closely at the UK experience and think how do we not replicate some or all of that? On a parting
2: note, Chris, here in this country, as you know, once a car reaches four years of age, uh, you have to get it NCT, that's the National Car Test. Uh, it's a Certificate of Road worthiness, which is a legal requirement. And um, mine is up in January. The car is four years old. I applied today. I got an appointment for the end of June. Mad stuff. Wow. Okay,
1: I, it, I'll take your NCT and raise it with local government in the UK. Two thirds of local councils in the UK at the moment, today, during this cold snap, don't have enough people to drive their gritting lorries. And that's a direct result of something we talked about last year, actually, about the HGV shortage of drivers. Yeah. Um, all of their drivers have gone into the private sector because they pay higher wages. Um, so, yeah, failures of of management, of governance, just failures everywhere. If you, if you, if you, you don't have to look very hard. Okay, mate. Okay. Yeah. Good to have talk. Chris. Yeah. Speak to you. Bye.
2: You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power. On the other hand, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www cjpeconomics.substack.com you can download our podcasts on apple spotify and other good podcast platforms
0: are you ready to enhance your future in tech then it's time to make your move to the uk the nation that has more tech unicorns than france germany and sweden combined